short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Ich bin ein Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. people I think is good people. They are they have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies. everybody to the cold war podcast episode whatever russian is for three uh how are you buddy doing doing great consistently uh, over these last couple episodes i'm I'm doing consistently the same well i think it's uh, <laughs> you're just ruining the the illusion that we're recording oh, these i'm sorry it's been a week um what about I'm that very- celebrity yeah. that died uh today Oh man, broke my heart. I know he he was one of my favorites. Like, what a contribution! Yeah, he made to the will be missed. Yeah, R.I.P. Old friend. Right, right. Well, in our last episode, episode two, we talked about uh, Winnie Churchill. About Churchill, you know, we we pointed out uh, a lot of. perhaps uh, shocking, distasteful aspects of his character to counterbalance the positive view that people probably uh, have been given by Churchill himself and by Western propaganda about Churchill. Today, we're going to go in the completely other direction. We are going to blow so much sunshine up Stalin's eyes. (laughs) No, it's look, it's very, it's very hard. I mean, right. you know, it, we're certainly not going to try and uh, 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 justify, as I said in the last episode, or, or apologize for Stalin. But at the right. same time, as you said and I said, mm-hmm. uh, we've, and we've said many times over the course of our shows, we need to try and look at these characters as real people with real lives, real motivations. Let's not allow them to be caricatures. Let's right. examine what their motivations might be. Because when you just say, well, Stalin was evil or Hitler was evil or ISIS is evil or blah, 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 you're, 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 you're shutting down your intellectual capabilities. Yeah. You're reducing them to an archetype. You're reducing them to a caricature, to, to a cartoon. And you don't a, learn anything by that. And B, it also prevents you from really being able to understand what's going on. Like there's this great story I often tell about how uh, uh, astronomers before Copernicus, if you Mm -hmm. said to them, well, what's astronomy? They would have said it's the study of how the sun and the rest of the planets rotate around the earth. Right. Their very definition of what astronomy was prevented them from actually discovering the Ah, truth that Copernicus discovered that, in fact... You know, a heliocentric model, right? So it's the same when you reduce these people to good or bad um, archetypes. It prevents you from learning 
what their motivations might have been, and, and therefore being able to look around the world today and go, well, how are these factors, these motivators, playing out on the world stage today? We have right. to go back and study these guys and try and understand them as human beings, flesh and blood, three-dimensional, to try and, and get a better grasp on historical events and context. Yeah. Ooh, I got my own example. Let's say I'm about to introduce you to someone and right before we meet, I turn to you and go, hey, just to let you know this guy's a real dick. And then we, and then you meet the guy. No matter what he says, no matter what he does, no matter what, you're automatically going to have a negative view of him and you're going to perceive everything he does as being a douche or manipulative or whatever. I mean, that's the same thing with this. Oh, Stalin was bad. And so you shut down everything else. You don't even try. He was a human. He, you know, he had love. He lost people. He cared about people. And he, you know, obviously killed a lot of people. So he was just as complex, if not more so, than a lot of other, you know, than a lot of people on this planet. And you can't think of him in any other way because then it's not real it's not factual and you lose so much of trying to understand the underlying one of the underlying pillars of the cold war well said my old chum thank you so uh, again uh, uh, let me start by saying like with our other shows on ancient rome and ancient greece forgive us we're going to fuck up the pronunciations uh, by the way on purpose on pri- purpose priviet tovrish uh, we're going to fuck up the pronunciations, yeah, probably on purpose. We might as well. If you're going to fuck it up, just do it. Go all the way, I say. Like, don't even Go for try. the gold. Yeah. That's right. Balls to the wall. Russian listeners, uh, we will get some Russian uh, yeah. guests on. We've already reached out to a couple mm-hmm. uh, who will be able to correct our pronunciations, but then we will yeah. ignore everything that they said. Just do it the way we, we want to, to do it. Them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm an American. Whatever I say is right. Mm-hmm. If, the, if, the, if the president does it, it must be legal. That's right. As Richard Nixon famously said. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, born Joseph Marionis de Jugesvili. Jugesvili. Has that, is that what do you say? Jugesvili? Yeah, Jugesvili. In, a- <clears throat> in 1878, only four years younger than Churchill. Nice. Did I say he was born in 1874? Uh, 78, yeah. I think. It was. No, Churchill was 74. Stalin mm-hmm. was 78. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we, I often think of Stalin as being the older of the right. guys meeting at Yalta. No, he got started young. When, when started. was Roosevelt? Roosevelt was born oh, 1882. God. So Roosevelt died first, spoiler alert, right. actually the youngest... <laughs> Uh, actually, the youngest of the three, Churchill was the eldest, then Stalin, then mm-hmm. Roosevelt. Mm. Um, he was born uh, in December 1878 in the little town of Gori in the Tiflis governorate mm-hmm. of... Tiflis. Oh, fuck. Are you gonna, you're like my wife Sorry, now. Are you going to do this the Sorry. whole way through? I th- I'll stop right the fuck I'll now. pronounce it the way I want to pronounce it. You pronounce it the way you want to pronounce it. And just let the audience figure out what the fuck we're talking about in between. Deal. Deal. In what is today Georgia. Not, yes, it's not pronounced a, Georgia. Not Atlanta. <laughs> the other Georgia. Oh, okay. Georgia the, on my mind. <laughs> I was going to play that song. You've just ruined it for us. Or did I make it better? Uh, well, no. Um <laughs> Why don't you tell me a little bit about the family he was born into, Ray? 
Um, let's just say they would have been on Jerry Springer uh, several times. Um, let's see here. What what do I know? So Iosef uh, Jugashvili, his nickname was Soso. Everybody has nicknames because one, they're shorter, you know, and it's just a lot easier. So his father was Beso Jugashvili. He was a cobbler. He was actually a skilled, skilled person, skilled partisan. Um, his mother is KK uh, Jugashvili. That's her married name, obviously. Um, Stalin or Iosef or Soso, as he as he was called, he was the third son of this couple. The first two had died, um, and so so Stalin becomes the third and but only surviving child. And so the first two deaths really affected Beso uh, a lot. His father, so he uh, drank. I'm sure he drank for other reasons. Um, some stuff like limoncello just tastes good, but he drank a lot. And when he drank a lot, he got violent. There were times when he beat his son, he beat his wife. Eventually, there's going to be a separation. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but even Stalin's mother, who for whatever reason, and I would love to know more about this, she really put all her hopes and dreams into her son. She expected almost perfection from him, and at times she would beat him as well if he did not measure up. Um, Stalin, from a very young age, is going to be obsessed with self-improvement we're going to see that time and time again he's going to read every book he can get his hands on is that you know from himself is that from trying to please his mother who knows but he had he potentially had a pretty nice life his father had some skill they were going to have above average life but the family breaks apart because of the drinking and the violence and it's just kk and so so and they're going to go off on their own and um, the very devout, they both uh, go to church and they believe in God. And I'm not sure how much, you know, you just stop me when you want me. I don't know how far you want to go. But he is basically going to become a priest. He is going to give his life to the church. He's going to go into a seminary where it all quickly goes downhill at this point for a lot of different reasons. But he has sincere intentions when he starts out. And um, he actually gave up a scholarship to go to a non-religious state school to get a very good education. No, he wanted to go to the seminary, which he should have been there for six years if everything had gone according to plan and come out and been a priest and obviously would have had an extremely different life than the one he had. But um, just like Hitler kind of, you know, I don't know how, how kind of flirted with the idea of being a priest when he was young. Stalin certainly came closer than he did. But then history, fate, whatever word you want to use, uh, the people that he knew influenced his life. And he's going to go on a very different course and going to obviously to I mean, how many of us can say this? He's going to affect and change the entire world. Well, you and I, obviously. But I mean, well, <laughs> Our listeners, not so much. That's a given. That's no, a given. That's a given. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and the, the couple of things I wanted to just highlight here is I think I said in the last episode, Churchill was born a blue blood aristocrat. Roosevelt was born a blonde, blonde, a blonde, 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 blonde. He was blown blonde, by blonde, a blonde. Blonde, blonde, blonde. <laughs> Probably lots of them. Yeah. Um, fortunately for him, no iPhone cameras. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Churchill was born a blue-blood aristocrat, so was Roosevelt, um, but Stalin, his father was a yeah. cobbler, his mother was a housemaid. He, was, Just, he, had a, he had a whole bunch of health issues as a kid. I read that he was born with two adjoined toes on ooh. his uh, left foot, um, which was many, many was a fantastic swimmer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> always wanted to go for a swim. 
He was always, <laughs> Mommy, he, can I get back in the tub? Said, at Yalta, he was like, can, comrades, <laughs> can we just do this in the pool? I feel much more comfortable. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go right now. Uh, yeah. He had smallpox at the age of seven. His face was permanently scarred. At age mm-hmm. 12, he injured his left arm in an accident involving a horse-drawn carriage, which rendered it shorter and stiffer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the good thing about that is when he jerked off, it felt like someone no. else was doing it. Uh, no. <laughs> he always used to say, yeah, it has its pros and cons. <laughs> that would be a big... Anyway, on, onward. Yeah, his father his father became an abusive alcoholic. Um, and as you say, he, he went to the seminary, trained to be a priest, but became an atheist in his first year. Um, Slight detour. We, we don't really know why, possibly, you know, something that he read. But he also um, published poetry, yeah. uh, was engaged in student politics, um, got expelled uh, from the seminary, uh, partially because he was a troublemaker by the sounds of it, but also he was unable to pay his tuition fees um, and probably also because he was an atheist. They're like, you know, in terms of priests, we're not saying you can't be an atheist priest, uh, but well, really, I, you it know. Doesn't help. Hmm. If, if I could just fill that in a little bit. Um, so there were, there were secret circles within the seminary, and these weren't, you know, they weren't smuggling in playboys or whatever. They were literally bringing in books that the Russian Empire, the state was okay with. It was the seminary that wasn't okay with them. And it's literally, um, you know, Marxist uh, uh, um, writings and things like that. And he's literally in charge of his own secret circle. He's getting involved in, uh, in uh, politics outside of the seminary, which he's not supposed to do. He, uh, he befriends someone who's a couple of years older than him. Um, that was also a student, but he is going to find so many and I'm just, I'm just, this is a fact. Don't, don't read too much into this. He finds so many inconsistencies in the Bible. And he also sees how his people are being treated by the Russians between his turning away from God and wanting to help his, his fellow, his fellow Georgians, if you will. Um, it was just too much. And so he's going to become a revolutionary, but there is a decent chance that he was also kicked out of the seminary because he had impregnated a young lady. So he was obviously a, a player besides a revolutionary and besides the seminary student. Yeah, boy. <laughs> with his good hand. No, um, <laughs> but when he died, when he died, they found a letter uh, in his um, archives or whatever you want to call it that that confirmed the, uh, the, the uh, what's the word? Um, Patrimony. Patrimony, yeah, of the child. And so, so one, he... This, the, the school did not take away his money, but he couldn't pay his dues. And so they kicked him out. But that was the official excuse. But one, he could have knocked someone up. But he had he had been found with so many banned books. And again, like me, when I was a kid, it would have been Playboy. But this guy's reading, you know, some serious heavy stuff. And he's like age 13, excuse me, age from 16 to 18 or whatever. And but he literally comes out of there a firebrand, a revolutionary, a rebel. He's going to do whatever he can to help his people. And all the older Marxists were all about theories. Let's write and let's get together and discuss. And him and Lado, his mentor, are like, fuck that. We need action. We need to go to the people. We need to organize them and we need to strike. We need to fight back. But the more time he spends with the people, he is so under impressed with them because he is obsessed with improving himself. He reads everything he can. He improves his mind. He, he he writes, you know, he wrote poetry, he had a journal. 
And he keeps running into the to the peasants who just want a better life. They want to be left alone. They're not willing to do anything to help themselves. So it's like, right, if there's going to be a revolution, people like me, the intellectuals, are going to have to lead it. And so eventually there's going to be a huge fight between is this a workers' party or is this a workers' party being led by intellectuals who aren't a part of the establishment, which goes into the whole um, there's a whole bunch of killing it. But anyway, so he is going to want power. He's going to want to help the people. He's going to want to get rid of the czarist regime, but he's going to want it on his terms. And by this time, he has found within himself this absolute desire to be in charge and to rule. Is he trying to get over being beaten by his parents? Is he trying to make sure that no one ever can tell him what to do again? Who in the fuck knows? But the point is, out of all of this stuff, there's a part of Stalin, his personality, that is about control and power and not being able to have anyone hurt him. Does this sound familiar with Hitler? He does. He wants to be in a position where no one can touch him. And he, all that gets wrapped up in this revolution, which is why he goes from a simple revolutionary person in gory, the backwater of Russia, to the absolute power at the top of the new Soviet Russia when it does emerge um, at the in during World War One. Slide in, cowboy. Yeah, that's all I got. That's all I got. That's all I wanted to say. He's fast. He's just fascinating. He is. Um, Not a good guy. You know, I don't think most people associate Stalin with being a self-made intellectual. Yeah, uh, but he was. He was a very, very yeah. smart guy. Apparently. Um. Now, uh, he starts reading uh, around about the time he gets kicked out of the seminary. Apparently, uh, the writings of a little chap known as Vladimir Lenin. <laughs> yes. Um, and joins the Russian Social Democratic Labour Party, which was obviously a, a Marxist group that was fighting for uh, better conditions for the workers of Russia. And I'm going to go into more detail about where Russia was at a little bit later on because that's important. Mm-hmm. Now, sometime between 1910 and 1912, Joseph starts using the alias Stalin Yeah, in his writings. Um, now, Stalin... There's, there's a lot. I read a lot of different things online about um, you know where it comes from. The one that seems to, the, the, I mean, either way, the word "stahl" means steel, right? Now, apparently, also Shugasvili, his original surname, uh, meant steel in some dialect at some level. Shaz, mm-hmm. um, and oh, then adding the "in" from Lenin. Is that where you what you understand Stalin meant sort of a combination of steel and Lenin? Right. Before, you know, because he realized no one's going to follow the great leader Soso. Uh, in prison, he changes his name to Koba, which is Avenger of the Wronged or something like that. And then eventually as Stalin comes along, he's got to make a new personality. And, you know, he picked a fucking good name because it, you know, it sticks with him and it works. And it projects what he wants it to project. So basically... You know, the reason these guys came up with aliases is because a lot of the writing they were doing was illegal under the Tsarist government, so they needed to, you know, uh, use anonymous aliases. Also, as you say, it was shorter, it was more memorable. But Stalin basically means man of steel. He was the original Superman, um, and, you know, as Americans just ripped him off and turned a comic into him and said, oh, no, Superman loves America. But really, the man of steel... Yeah. It was Russia. They took him, they shaved his mustache, put a red cape on him. The mm. rest is history. Yeah. 
We'd be, be great if Superman's secret identity was actually Stalin. <laughs> and he, he, the mustache was a fake. He ran to a telephone yeah. box, took off the, the military outfit, <laughs> took off the mustache. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck, that would have been awesome. Um, now, despite, despite sorry, the scars that he had from smallpox, uh, photos mm-hmm. of him as a young man, I posted one on yeah. Facebook a while ago, he was insanely good looking <laughs> in those photos. Now, yeah. most people don't know this, but... You know, the film Zoolander is a fictionalized account also of Stalin's life. Um, ah, that he, makes sense now. He was the original supermodel. In fact, he invented the look Blue Steel and he was originally yeah. going to call himself Blue Steel Man. <laughs> Blue Stalin. But it never took off. So he shortened it just down That's to Stalin. Right. But, yeah. you know, you know... Um, Who's the guy behind nice. Zoolander movies? Ben oh, Stiller. Uh, ben yeah. Stiller. Still, Stiller. Stiller. Ben yeah. Stalin. Uh, Stiller. Yeah. Get it? It's all. It's all coming together. Well, whenever I see Stalin now, and a, when as a young man, I think of the song "Wake Me Up." Yeah. Go, go. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, it's all tied together. It's one all. big conspiracy. Um. And of course, uh, you know, he goes on to be the leader of the Soviet Union from the mid-1920s oh, right, 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 <laughs> until his death in 1953. But right. we'll go back a step. So, um, I, you know, again, look, we could spend 100 hours doing this, and I know yeah. you're, you're going to do a lot of this. Uh, you already started a Stalin bio in World War II oh. show, right? Mm-hmm, yep. So people can go listen to that if you want more detail. I'm gonna yeah. ru- I'm gonna rush through some bits and I'll stop and pause. And allow Ray to throw his ten cents in. Sure. So Stalin was one of the first seven members of the Politburo, which was founded in 1917. He he took part in the the Bolshevik Revolution. So 1878 is when 1988, 98, He was about 39 when the the revolution happened. Um. Yep. And I don't know if people know much about the Russian Revolution. And again, I don't have time to go into it in a huge amount of detail. But it's important to understand that the Russian Revolution, the February Revolution anyway, 1917, was kind of a shock to everyone. It it wasn't like uh, the Cuban Revolution where Fidel Castro is at the head of an army or the French Revolution. You know, there was no uh, military involvement. Basically, the people just went on strike and said, you know what, fuck you to the czars. Lenin, who was ostensibly the leader of the Bolsheviks, wasn't even in the country at the time. And in fact, I've said this many times, the night before the the, the February Revolution, Lenin, I think he was in Switzerland, gave a speech at a university where he said the Russian Revolution wouldn't take place in his own lifetime. Right. It didn't fit the criteria of, of that Marxist had la- Marx, Marxism had laid out, yeah. Exactly. And see, people don't know this, and again, we don't have a huge amount of time to cover this, but... According to Marxist theory, the stages of, the, of, of socioeconomic development of a country has to go mm. through sort of agrarian, through to where, where people are all, you know, on farms, most people, through the Industrial Revolution, then through capitalism, then mm-hmm. through imperialism, then to socialism. It was supposed to be the end point of a journey where people, you know, developed, you know, a higher and higher levels of political sophistication. Socialism right. was supposed to be the end point. Russia had barely moved out of the agrarian stage. Right. Um, but so Lenin didn't think it was going to happen. Then it happened. and He was like, fuck, that's my revolution. Somebody get me back there so I can lead it. 
And the Germans did. And the Germans did because he yeah. promised he'd get them out of the war. Um, yeah. But anyway, Stalin was there from the early days, along with uh, other names that you may or may not be familiar with. You, you'll become more familiar with some as we go, probably. But there was Kamenev, Trotsky, Bubnov, uh, Sokolnikov, and Zinoviev, I think, with, a, with Stalin, with mm-hmm. the, the first members of the Politburo. Right. Um, yeah. I, I just yeah. want to add one thing real quick. Um, this, is, this is what how much Stalin respected Marxism, and, or, or you could say Marxism-Leninism. <clears throat> when um, the, the evolution, evolutionary stages that Cam was talking about was supposed to happen to a well-advanced, almost uh, cushy capitalist society because the people would get tired and they'd, they'd use their numbers to overthrow. Since Russia wasn't anything like that, when he takes over, he is literally going to turn the country into the type of country it should have been before the revolution in the first place. So he's going to work really hard to industrialize, to make it the type of country so they can get to that final true step of political um, economic evolution, which is communism. So that, that, I mean, he was w- literally willing to change an entire country to make it fit into Marxism. That's what he, that's, he re- and Stalin was a true believer. This wasn't lip service. He really did get into this and he really did believe this. This was his religion. Yeah. Um. So then he gets appointed General Secretary of the Party Central Committee in 1922, which apparently originally the role wasn't intended to hold as much power as it eventually did. It sort of morphed once he had control of everything. Also in 1922, the Russians, the Ukrainians, the Belarusians, the Transcaucasians, which uh, incorporated Armenia, Azerbaijan and Georgia, approved Mm -hmm. the creation of the USSR. The Soviet Union came into existence in 1922 as a collection of all of these, uh, you know, uh, what were they? They were like federal republics, federated republics, I think, at the time. Yeah. Um, Now, Stalin uh, viewed the Soviet Union as a socialist island and stated back in 1922 that the Soviet Union must see that the present capitalist encirclement is replaced by a socialist encirclement. And we'll talk mm. about why that was important a little bit later on. Now, towards yeah. the end of, of Lenin's life, right. uh, he wrote increasingly disparaging notes about Stalin yeah, too little, too late. Um, Lenin was quite sick at this stage in the early 20s. Even his wife was warning him about Stalin. Uh, Lenin wanted to have the party remove Stalin as general secretary. Um, he was concerned about his rude manners and his excessive ambition. Right. But if, he died if, yeah. in 1924 before he could do anything about it. Yeah, the the one thing, um, and, and of course, for the interest of time, we, we can't go too far, but when Stalin is uh, made uh, the general secretary, he slowly gathers more either either direct power under himself or people that are appointed to various positions owe their position to him because even though Stalin is an intellectual, the people that he's on the Politburo with, they are true intellectuals and they're, they're coming from the aristocratic families. And so they literally dump this job on Stalin. But because of the type of person he is and the way his mind works, he's able to 
take what should have been a negative, turns it into a positive, gathers all this power around him. When, when Lenin starts getting sick, Stalin has fake newspapers, entire newspapers made up that are fake to be given to, to Lenin to read, saying that everything's okay while he's on his deathbed. But it's still Lenin found out, but he couldn't do anything about it. It was too late. Stalin had his firm hands on the reins. And after Lenin's gone, he's going to truly start removing his not so much enemies, but so much his adversaries. But the way he saw them, they were his enemies and they needed to be removed. Just a fascinating guy willing to do whatever it took to be in, in power and not to be able to have anybody hurt him. Yeah, and so it's interesting to note that even in the early 20s, before Stalin did the things that he did later on, even uh, Lenin could see, and people around Stalin could see, that there was something not right about him. Um, yeah. From an early stage, he was obviously a little bit wrong in the head. Maybe he was a bit <laughs> of a sociopath. Right. And But, you know, people, I think, in the West have come to associate socialism or communism with Stalin. They think they, they look at Stalin and they go, well, right. look at, you know, I get into this conversation all the time. People say, well, socialism doesn't work. Look at Russia. Okay, yeah, Russia was run by Stalin. Stalin was a crazy yeah. motherfucker. And here's <laughs> the thing. People even back then could see that he was a crazy motherfucker. Even Lenin could see it uh, yeah. towards the end and tried to have him removed, was worried about yeah. him. But, you know, Stalin outplayed him, basically. There's a thing that uh, you, you can't judge, like we wouldn't, we don't judge capitalism or democracy by Donald Trump. Right. Uh, we shouldn't judge socialism by Stalin. Good point. We can if, look at the yeah. weaknesses of socialism, and we will explore that as the show goes on, as long as, as well as we'll look at the weaknesses of capitalism. But you can't, it's nonsense to judge an incredibly old and complex socio-economic political theory by pointing at one sociopath and the result of what he did and saying, well, socialism equals Stalinism. It's just, yeah. it's in, inane. Well, and uh, another point you made, I can't remember, it was somewhere in your notes, you made a very valid point. Yeah, I mean, you might not like socialism, you might not like uh, communism, whatever, but if you're under a czar who has absolute life and death power over everyone in, in his um, in his country could do whatever he wants, and these people are um, often robbed by the nobility, the Strauzi, the, um, the they were like the armed forces, but they came from the nobility. These people had it miserable. They were serfs at one point uh, when Stalin was a young kid. So if, if communism or socialism comes along and they get rid of the leader, and if they truly could have the mass of the people own the majority of the goods, that might not be what you want, but that's certainly better than what they had before. So that was on paper some of the idea, but Cameron's absolutely right. It's that idea, but it's because Stalin's in charge, it's going to take on a whole different tint. There's going to be a lot more bloodshed involved because of the type of person he was. So don't just say communism is bad because of what Stalin did. Stalin was bad. Communism or socialism was something that's very different. It's a separate issue, but it does all get thrown together if you do not take the time to really examine it and, and think about it. And we will at some stage, I guess, <clears throat> do a deep dive on socialism and communism. Yeah. And is there a difference? And what is the difference? And it's mm -hmm. really Lenin that created a difference. But, you know, it, uh, just for people that are, are very ignorant about what socialism is, I just want to provide a very quick 
uh, uh, background. Now, and now, let me start mm-hmm. by saying that socialist theory is very old, very complex, and a lot of different ideas, a lot of different right. variations and versions. So I'm dumbing it down massively here. But basically, the I appreciate I- that. Thank you. Uh, the the idea of socialism it goes something if I if I have to sum it up in a in, in a very short period I'd say the idea is this look the idea that all people are equal when we live in a land uh, we are all citizens of that country we all have equal rights uh, and therefore we should all have an equal share of the wealth of that country uh, and disparate levels of wealth. Uh, between one citizen and another citizen are a consequence of historical things that happened. Uh, Mm -hmm. Some people had more opportunities than others. They had more education than others. They had more health care than others, whatever. Um, They had better parents than others. If if, if you grow up and you have, you know, Stalin's parents, you're not off to the (laughs) best start in life, right? Um, So the idea of socialism generally is like, look, just like we all breathe the same amount of air and, and we all have a block of land, we all or we all want to have a block of land anyway, We the, the wealth in society should be shared equally. There shouldn't be some people with more than others. Now, we, we should have a structure for how we all live together where we each contribute what we can and everyone has everything they need. And there were... Utopian versions of socialism that go back, well, you know, so socialism goes probably back into the, the ancient Greeks. You can go back to Plato and Socrates and find ideas of it. Early Christian societies practiced a form of it um, mm-hmm. all the way through history. But then in sort of this, after the Industrial Revolution, it starts to get talked about, St. Simeon and these sorts of guys. Marx and Engels pick it up in the 19th century and, and create a body of theory around it. But, you know, when Marx dies, I think there's like seven people at his funeral. Like, he wasn't very popular. No one knew who he was, really. But the, the problem is that, that Marx and Engels n- never really built uh, any sort of political framework or structure. For, well, how do you go from even an advanced capitalist society to a socialist society? They didn't, they didn't develop a blueprint. And here we have, you know, these guys under Lenin that are talking about Massive reform that is needed to Russian society. Um, socialism was about more equal sharing of, of wealth and the benefits of the land with people. Um, and as we'll see, they sort of pushed it in uh, when it was, probably wasn't ready to be pushed in. Uh, but St- getting back to Stalin, um, after Lenin's death, he suppressed Lenin's criticisms of him, and uh, I think even some of those stayed hidden and buried until after Stalin had died. Um, and he also changed it uh, the the operating principle of Marxism in Russia from global revolution, which is uh, how Lenin and Trotsky saw it, to this idea of socialism in one country. Do you want to explain the difference between the two? Between what? I'm sorry. Hold on. My, my wife knock was on your door. Yeah, yeah. So I, I told him to go away. Well, would, would you say I apologize? <laughs> what did she want? Like, Booty like, call? Booty call? Off. No, I don't have two minutes. <laughs> I, I don't have Does it take much. two minutes? <laughs> um, on a good day. On a good day. <laughs> the difference between socialism in one country and permanent revolution. Um, yeah, um... 
fuck, I didn't have that in my notes. Shit, let me see if I can wing it here. Unless uh, you've got something. Uh, of course I've got something. Okay, I apologize. Um, so, again, sort of Lenin theory, Leninist theory and, and um, even going back to Marx and Engels is this idea that you can't have socialism in one country. Because uh, the the well, a you need trading partners, and capitalists mm-hmm. won't trade with you, and you won't trade with capitalists, possibly. But also, the capitalist countries will try and crush any socialist experiment. So you need to have socialism happen in lots of countries almost simultaneously or very mm. quickly. So one socialist country can trade with another, and they can protect themselves against the capitalist countries that are going to come in and try and destroy them or cut them off using economic blockades and the sorts of things that President Obama is now finally starting to dismantle after 50 or 60 years uh, with Cuba. Um, Now, there was a a number of communist revolutions around Europe between 1917 and 1921. They all failed, Mm -hmm. except Russia's. So Stalin, when he took control, decided that they just needed to build up Russia. It needed to strengthen itself internally rather than worry about world communism. So this socialism in one country was a big shift from Marxist theory at the time. Um, He replaced Lenin's new economic policy uh, with a highly centralised command economy and led this period that you've mentioned before, I think in the last episode even, of just breakneck industrialization and collectivization. He just tried to drag Russia kicking and screaming right. into the 20th century. And, yeah. you know, you know that was a massive undertaking. Now, you said before... It was because he believed in communist theory. I think also it was because, as you've mentioned, that they'd been invaded before uh, several times in recent history. He knew that they needed to uh, uh, militarize and industrialize quickly in order to be able to fight a 20th century war because they were still very backwards when you know, he came to power. Yeah. If I could just mention something. So adding on to that. So so he, he's got this plan. He wants to industrialize, like you said, breakneck speed. And obviously, you know, Russia is the largest freaking country on the planet. So his 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 advisors are saying, look, we're going to need an extra 250,000 tractors and we're going to need to oil for those and we're going to need power for those. And we're, while we're doing all that, we're going to build some railroads. We're going to build some dams. We're going to do all this at one time. And so how in the hell do you pay for this massive, concentrated construction and modernization? The only thing that Russia had that anybody wanted was their wheat. So over the last couple of years in the early 1920s, their ability to collectively gather up all the wheat had been, it wasn't as efficient as it could be. It was, it was getting lax. So Stalin is like, we're going to combine all the stuff into one program. We're going to organize, we're going to collect, or we're going to have collection programs for the farms. We're going to um, literally organize everything and we're going to collect it all. We're going to sell it and we're going to use that money to get all the material that we need. Um, yes. Um, Millions of people are going to starve to death. They're not going to die right away. It's not going to be overnight. They are literally going to starve to death. But this is what's needed because if we don't, it's just a matter of time before Russia gets invaded 
and defeated and have stuff taken from us like China's been dealing with for the last couple of hundred years because everybody who wanted anything could just go to China and take it like it was like it was your own individual garden. Uh, Stalin wrote uh, that the history of old Russia was that she was ceaselessly beaten for her backwardness. She was beaten by the Mongol Khans. She was beaten by the Turkish Bays. She was beaten by the Swedish feudal lords. She was beaten by the Polish-Lithuanian pans. She was beaten by the Anglo-French capitalists. She was beaten by the Japanese barons. She was beaten by all for her backwardness. We are 50 or 100 years behind the advanced countries. We must make up this lag in years. Either we do it or they will crush us. So he might have lost some people along the way, and Stalin probably did not shed a tear for any of them, but it was better than losing his entire country, and even more importantly, his position, because he was all about himself first, and then his border second, and he did what he needed to do, and that's just the way it was. Yeah, I think that's that's a great quote. And again, you have to try and get into his head. I mean, if he is now in control of Russia... Uh, he wants to build it up, make it strong, protect its people, mm-hmm. feed its people, and he realizes he just can't do it slowly. It's right. just not going to happen slowly. They're going to get wiped out. They've got enemies on all sides. They've been invaded over and over and over again, as you said. So he just decides to go hell for leather. Yeah. Um, he was, yeah. a, you know, he was a reformer, and he was a get things done man. He just he had yeah. big in Russia. Results. I, I yeah. get shit done. He had it up on the wall. That's right. <laughs> Lead, follow, or get out of the way was his uh, motto. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, very good, very good. Um, uh, you know, of course, these economic changes that he pushed through uh, ended up in the imprisonment of millions of people in gulag labor camps. Um, when they had this shortfall of grain supplies in 1927 that you mentioned that they needed a to feed people and also to trade with, uh, he you know that he just realised that the the forms of agriculture that were happening were inefficient. He tried to modernise them by collectivising and said, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna take over all your farms and mm-hmm. we're gonna modernise it." Right. And that created all sorts of problems. It disrupted food production initially. There was a famine, a massive famine that happened, partly a result of that in 1932-93. Uh, sorry, 32-33. Not, not entirely caused by that, but partially caused by that. Right. Um, but also one thing that happened is it led to a massive move of people from rural to urban areas, which caused mm-hmm. massive infrastructure problems. You know, I, I've got some numbers on the population growth in different areas, and they were crazy, like just just, just millions of people being added yeah. to these cities, uh, you know, within years. In a short and, time, exactly. Yeah, they're struggling to, to keep up to, up to speed. So it was a complete fucking mess. But, you know, again, his motivation, as you said before, was if we don't do this, we're dead. So yeah. it's, it's adapt or die, and we have to do it really quickly. Um, yeah. I just want to throw out that if he hadn't done what he did in the 20s, he wouldn't have been ready, um, you know, because it takes years, obviously, to do that. If he had waited until the 30s to do that, by the time, you know, the Germans attack, they would have not been where they're at. And they truly would have gotten their ass kicked uh, worse than they did. Um, So, yeah, so he might have lost a couple million people from starvation. But as far as the country as a whole, and that's his job. He did what was best for the country. Well, and, and the maths is very simple. If he hadn't have done what he did in the mm-hmm. 20s and the 30s, 
Hitler would have won World War Two. Yeah. It okay. Be a, yeah. M- maybe the US developing the atom bomb may have may have changed the the scales there. I, I should but say. By then, but by then, Russia would have been so overrun, everything destroyed, everything ripped up and taken back to Germany, or just burnt where it is. I mean, the, as bad as Russia suffered during the war, it would have been double that if. Russia hadn't been ready and been able to throw as much as they had at the Germans. So, so, yeah. So by the time the atomic bomb comes along, Russia would have been ruined as a country. Yeah, he would have, you know, Hitler probably would have beaten Russia a couple of years earlier. Then he would have turned on the United Kingdom, crushed the United Kingdom, and then possibly, you know, figured out how to get to the U.S. and crush the U.S. as well when he had all of the resources of those other countries behind him. Um, so, yeah. Look again because he's working on his own atomic bomb as well. Sorry, we're, yeah, we're not justifying what Stalin did, but we're saying if he hadn't have done it, the yeah. world would look very different today. Absolutely. Um, but then we get to 1934 when a, a popular communist party boss in Leningrad, uh, Sergei Kirov, is murdered. Stalin blames the murder on a vast conspiracy of saboteurs and Trotskyites. Mm-mm. Again, Trotsky was part of the original Politburo, but he and Stalin mm-hmm. criticized each other a lot. They had very different views on where communism should be going, where Russia should be right. going. This leads to the Great Purge. Between 1934 and 1939, Stalin leads a massive purge of the party, the government, the armed forces, and the intelligentsia. Yeah. Uh, it's estimated between 600,000 and 1.2 million people, so called enemies of the working class, were imprisoned, exiled, or executed. Yeah. Often without due process. And, uh, you know, many of the major figures in the Communist Party and government, including many of his commanders and generals, are killed right. um, after being convicted of treason in show trials. Not the best idea to kill all of your uh, best, most experienced commanders <laughs> just before a world war is about to start. Right. But yeah. he didn't know that. Yeah, between the intellectuals, the writers, the scientists, if you stood out, if you weren't uh, 100% uh, loyal or a suck-up or whatever, or if you were better than him than something, uh, your chances are you didn't live very long. And even though it was between 600,000 and 1.2 million, that easily goes up to 2 million if you just talk about the people that were arrested but not shot. I can't tell you the number of um, officers that were released from prison when the Germans invade. It's like, okay, congratulations. You're now free to go fight and die for the communist state that had put you in jail in the first <laughs> place. But yeah, he did what he had to do, and and yeah, the Russia suffers for it, but they do come back. But of course, when Russia does bounce back, all of these people are truly loyal and or fearful of Stalin in a way that they weren't before. And he literally is a king in all but name. You know, if you you th- again, I mean, this is hard, but let's try and think of it from Stalin's view. Let's say you're Stalin, you're like, look, I am trying to fast forward our evolution as a country to get ready for what I can see is coming. And there are all these people that are pulling it back. They're trying to stop. You know, look, I know this this, this modernization, this industrialization, trying to compress what in America and the United Kingdom and Germany took place over a century. I'm trying to jam it into a decade. Yeah, I yeah. know that's an incredibly painful 
process, but don't look. Uh, uh, you know, don't blame me. Blame the czars. We yeah. need to catch up, or we're going to die. Now, there's 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 people out there that are trying to stop it from happening, because either through you know uh, political means, through through. Uh, 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 you know, uh, corruption through bribery, through whatever. They're trying to stop this modernization that I know is absolutely critical. So right. I'm going to, it's it's us or them. I mean, the population of Russia is at the time, what, uh, 200 odd million? Mm-hmm. Um, if I have to imprison a million people so that 200 million don't get crushed by the Germans or the Japanese or the capitalists... Right. Yeah, I'll that's do it what, in a second. That's what I need to do right now. Yeah. This is a consequentialist argument. The ends justifies the means. and But, you know, I want people to stop and think about this. Now, I know there's a lot of people going, oh, I can't believe he's saying that. But, yes, I'm saying that. And I want you to stop and think about it from Stalin's perspective. Yeah. I've got 200 million people that I'm responsible for that are going to get invaded, crushed, killed, I'm trying to modernize as quickly as possible to prevent that from happening. There's a whole bunch of people out there that are stopping me from doing it for a whole variety mm-hmm. of reasons. I am going to have to take care of them in order to in right. order to stop the impediment of this modernization program that is vital to our security interests. It's vital to our survival, our economic survival, our ability to feed ourselves. Just think about what the natural population growth is in a country of that size. Jesus. And how much food you're going to need, how much infrastructure you're going to need to be able to just feed your own people, let alone fight off all of your enemies on your extremely large border. Um, Yeah. So again, not forgiving. We're not apologizing for Stalin, but you've right, got no. to try and think this like is he why thinks. He, exactly. These yeah, are this these is are why he did it. These are real problems. He mm-hmm. didn't just wake up one day and go, "I'm going to kill a million people just because." Right. Oh, it's Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. He had real domestic issues that he was trying to struggle with. That I mean, what are your alternatives? Here's this is always a good question. Let's say he just goes, okay, well, fuck it. We're not going to modernize. We'll just right. stay where we were when we got rid of the czars. Oh, we'll modernize yeah. slowly. What would have happened? Yeah, they, they were getting their ass kicked from the Europeans, uh, from the uh, Asians, and from the Turks, the um, Armenians. I mean, Russia was just bitch slapped for years. Peter the Great was in, 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 in a war every year of his reign except for one year, and that's a fact. And he was like, no, it stops now because I don't want to go the way of so many of these other guys. We're going to do something about it. And just to give, and just to, just for comparison's sake, uh, Mao Zedong had his own um, five-year plans and 10-year plans or whatever. And those were a complete nightmare, a complete failure. So at least when Stalin did it, he got it right, and there were some real results from it. There were real improvements. So how he went about it, you might not agree with, but that's how he chose to do it, and he got it done. And that's just fact. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just the end result. It worked for him. All right. Uh, listen, I just want to go back a step now, Ray, and do some background on Russia before the revolution. Okay. Because this is another thing I think a lot of people don't think about. Like whenever I talk about Cuba and people go, oh, you know, Cuba's stuck in this and Cuba doesn't have that and Cuba doesn't have this. I go, what was Cuba like before the revolution? Have you ever stopped to think about that? 
what what was the lot of the people of Cuba before the revolution? Was it great? Were they all? Was it like singing in the rain? Was it like fucking? Right. What's the Maria right. thing? Um, yeah. Well, if they had a revolution, I'm guessing it wasn't great. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So same with Russia. So as you said before, uh, before the revolution, Tsar Nicholas II of the Romanov dynasty held absolute power. That's the way it had been for centuries and centuries and centuries in mm-hmm. Russia. Uh, he helped... Uh, he was helped sort of rule the very vast country, a bit like, uh, you know, the Persian king of kings in um, Alexander's day, through th- the uh, thousands and thousands of civil servants, the, this massive bureaucracy that ran the state. They mm-hmm. were all underpaid and accepted bribes constantly in order to do favours for this person or that person. So I think we have this image in the West of Soviet Russia as being filled with this massive bureaucracy that was corrupt and full of bribes, and that's possibly true. My point is that's the way it had been in Russia forever. Yeah, That that wasn't a Soviet Union thing. That was a thing that had been going. This is what Russians were familiar with. This had been going on for well before. This wasn't a a consequence of the Soviets. This was something that they had had for a very long time. Um, under the czars, all of the media was censored. Political opposition mm. was crushed. Political mm. prisoners were sentenced without a fair trial and sent to Siberia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing you've got to understand is the Russian Orthodox Church was in collusion with the czars. The czar mm-hmm. was the head of the church, and the church typically reinforced his authority. So, you know... People may be aware that when the communists came into power, they wanted to get rid of organized religion. The same way as when the Russian Revolution, uh, sorry, the French Revolution happened, they wanted to get rid of religion. Why? Mm -hmm. Because these religions were corrupt. Yeah. They were. They worked hand in hand with the government or whoever was in power at the time. Yeah. Exactly. Religions, you know, the churches across Europe. Worked hand in hand. They were first of all, like they were all corrupt in and of themselves. The these the, the patriarchs, the bishops, the cardinals, the popes were all fucking corrupt, um, right. and were just douchebags. The vast majority of them may have been the occasional good one, but most of them were elitist douchebags. Most of them came out of the aristocracy as well and bought their cardinalship or oh, their yeah. bishopric. It was oh, the yeah. same in Russia. And it was, you know, because it was just easy. Oh, we just lie around, look to, you know, just, you know, yes, my son, yeah. fuck off. Now let me fuck some chicks. Um, if, if I can just add, I remember years ago I read a biography on Peter the Great, and I remember the government, the czar kept them poor, the church kept them humble about being poor. And then it was also, it's a long way to God, but it's a very long way to the czar. So they literally worked hand in hand to keep the people down, to milk the people for all they could, and they worked together, and the people had no opportunity and no chance to fight those two powerful institutions. Yeah, you go to church every weekend, and the priest says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So don't worry about it. You're poor. Just stay there. Don't cause any trouble. It's what Jesus wants. You'll get your reward in heaven. And so people... (laughs) Yeah. Now we're passing the train. Um (laughs) Now, so um, in 1900, so 17 mm. years before the revolution, 80% of Russians were peasants. 
Ooh. So I don't know what the numbers were in other countries. I should have looked that up at the time. But it was a very high percentage of the population yeah. were peasants. Uh, until 1861, peasants were all serfs. Right. So 80% of the population in 1861 were slaves. Yeah, they belonged to a plot of land. It belonged to a manor, to a lord who, when he died, his son took over. And your ass stayed right there, and you worked for that land and that lord until you died. Now, America had slaves in 1861, but I think it was a much smaller percentage of the population. What, 10%, Mm -hmm. less than 10%? Mm -hmm. They were the ones who did all the work, but yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, child mortality rate in Russia was at fifty percent. Damn. Czars. Yeah. Uh, Stalin's two older brother died uh, uh, very young. Yeah. Trade unions and striking were illegal, so people were basically yeah. poor, starving, and had no rights under the czars. Meanwhile, Tsar Nicholas had eight palaces <laughs> and fifteen thousand servants. It's good to be the czar. Mm-hmm. Of course, as people from our Caesar show know, uh, the word czar comes from Caesar. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1% of Russia were nobility, but they owned 25% of the land. Damn. Um, now, Nicholas's grandfather, Tsar Ale- which, by the way, isn't that different from the United States today, <laughs> Don't. Yeah. No, yeah, it's true. The 1% own a shit ton of the wealth. 40% of, of the wealth, I think, in America. Yeah. So basically, you're, just, you're about, you're worse off than the Tsar, <laughs> people living under Tsarist Russia, I guess. <laughs> anarchy, anarchy, revolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nicholas's grandfather, Tsar Alexander II, had been killed by a bomb hidden in a snowball. Mm. My, oh, That's always been my favorite way to hide bombs. Uh, yeah. In 1904, Nicholas II went to war with Japan for control over Korea and Manchuria. Uh, Manchuria, by the way, if people don't know where that is, I had to look it up. It's a huge area that sits on the mainland of Mm -hmm. sort of Russia near Japan, Uh, borders both China and Russia. So in 1904, he went to war with them. The Russians lost badly. Badly, get their ass kicked. Two kicked. naval battles. Yeah, no, it was it was a huge humiliation because up until a, year, a couple of years before that, Japan was an uh, an internal country that wanted nothing to do with anybody. The Americans forced them to open up, and they fucking did, and they copied the Americans and became a huge power overnight. The Americans live to regret that. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, in 1905, there was uh, the Bloody Sunday demonstration. This was when a bunch of unarmed demonstrators, led by an Orthodox priest, Father Georgi Gapon, who was actually being funded by the Japanese, um, supported by the Japanese, they marched to the Winter Palace to present a petition to Tsar Nicholas II, and they were fired on by the soldiers of the Imperial Guard. 500 yeah. were killed, thousands were injured, and this led to the 1905 revolution, mm-hmm. uh, which was crushed, oppressively crushed by the Tsar. He did, in the aftermath, agree to set up Parliament, uh, the Duma, but it had no real power. Right. So this happened. It was just his buddies. Yeah. Yeah. This happened 12 years before the 1917 revolution. 
Um, so around about this time, there's early 20th century, you know, Marxism going on. The Social Democratic Labor Party, as I mentioned earlier on, were fighting for reform. There were basically uh, two basic divisions of the SDLP. There were the Mensheviks and the Bolsheviks. The Mensheviks, mm-hmm. that basically means the minority party, and the Bolsheviks, which is the majority party. The Mensheviks were run by a guy called Julius Martov, he wanted it to be a mass party with all of the working class involved and he wanted it to Aww. be a democracy and That's he wanted nice. them to take power in the form of a democracy. He wanted to see Russia evolve with a parliament and for the um, SDLP to take its place in that. By the way, mm-hmm. in this year, 1905, I think it was... Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me, mm-hmm. let me, let me check this up. Around about there, it might have been 1904, The first social democratic Labor Party in the world got its, got, well, the first uh, candidate from a social right. democratic Labor Party anywhere in the world actually got elected and was elected prime minister of which country? Which one? Australia, mate. Ah. So when the Mensheviks are trying to do this, they're looking at Australia as an example. They're going, look, (laughs) the Labor Party in Australia, which was a a social democratic party, managed to, you know, have a democratic election and their prime minister got elected. That's what we want. Now, I say I explain this because, again, I come across a lot of people, particularly Americans, but also Australians, who think that socialism does not uh, can, cannot countenance democracy. They, right. they they usually counterpoint socialism on one hand and democracy on the other hand. I have to explain in great detail. There is nothing inherent in socialism that says you shouldn't or can't have a democracy. Mm-hmm. Um, people are shocked by that, but that's true. Socialism does not mean not democracy. It does not mean autocracy. It right. does not mean dictatorship. Marx and Engels did talk about the dictatorship of the proletariat. All they mean is that the proletariat, which is the working class, should be in control of things. Right. Not that it's actually a dictatorship as we think about yeah, it. You know, they're um, in control because they, yeah, they're the majority of the people and they help make the wealth. Why shouldn't they share in it and the power? Now, the Mensheviks believed, uh, as we mentioned before, that Russia wasn't ready for socialism, which was true according to Marxist theory, and that they needed to work with the bourgeoisie, the, the, the capitalists, the, the wealthy mm-hmm. elite uh, in uh, the, the nobility in Russia to move Russia slowly in the right direction right. so that it could achieve socialism one day. The Bolsheviks, run by Vladimir Ilyich Lenin, believed that that wasn't right. He believed that a vanguard, you mentioned before, the, high, the intellectuals, the highly uh, uh, well-educated or well-read, small but skilled revolutionary group mm-hmm. were, were, should be making the decisions for the good of the people because the people right. are dumb, they're uneducated, yeah. they, they don't know. Yeah. Now, by the way, Chomsky will tell you that that's exactly how domestic policy is set in the United States as well. Mm. Um, this goes back to guys like Walter Lippmann, who was the you know the grandfather of modern propaganda, who got America involved in World War One in the first place when they technically had an isolationist 
policy. All right. these guys that that figured out ways to manufacture the consent of the American people to get involved in World War One, you know, had the same view. Look, the people are dumb. They don't know what's best for the country. It's there's a small group of us that's no that know what's best. And we need to be the ones that that uh, push the country in the right direction, and we'll mm-hmm. just manufacture ways to get people on board. And we know that America's entry into World War One was based on complete fake um, artifice, right? The the sinking mm-hmm. of the Lusitana it was right. complete fraud, but it was propaganda that engineered enough support for America to get involved in the war. Um. So that was vanguardism. The Bolsheviks came in. Now, so, so hopefully, I'll, I'll wrap up now, but hopefully, folks, you, you know a little bit more about what Russia was like before the communists mm-hmm. took control. It wasn't right. great. It was fucked Dude. up. It was a complete yeah. fucking mess. And but, it was going to stay that way for a very long time because the czars weren't going to change anything. Exactly. Yeah. A few other tidbits about Stalin before I wrap up. His favorite actors were Spencer Tracy, Clark Gable, and John Wayne. Oh, cool. And he was a short ass. He came in at five foot four. How tall are you, Woo! mate? I got him beat by an inch. Holy shit, he was smaller than you? Yeah. Oh, my God. It's a but, wonder. <laughs> but he did run the largest country in the world, so he's got that on me. It's a wonder they could even see him. They'd be walking around going, has <laughs> anyone seen Uncle Joe? Oh, oh there he is. Nearly stood on him. Son. He's like, stop. <laughs> stop standing. Hey, that hurts. That hurts my feelings. <laughs> yeah. Uh, President Truman gave him the nickname The Little Squirt. Oh, my God. Hopefully not to his face. Well, have you got any more you want to wrap up with, buddy? Uh, No, that's just, yeah, just a good idea. So Stalin did what he had to do. You know, everybody's doing what they have to do. And everybody's trying to improve themselves. So don't judge black or white. That's just not how the world works. And look, I know there wasn't a lot of jokes in that episode and not a lot of music in that episode. Um, Start singing right now, but <laughs> right, right, right now, yeah. We're going to, you know, it's, it's a tough episode. So, you know, we will we'll get, we get more into the swing of things as we go. But, um, you know, we, uh, we wanted to cover that stuff. It, 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 it's going to be a little bit, uh, little bit um, serious for a little while while we get into right. gear, kids. But then we will. Then we promise to immature and take it down a couple of levels and have a lot of fun with it. We'll be back in the next episode to do a mini biography on FDR. And surprisingly, for yeah. everyone who thinks I'm an American hater, I don't have a lot of bad things to say about FDR. Yeah, yeah. I, and Love I looked. Know. Trust me, I looked. Yeah, he did. And uh, I could not find. Okay, so he, you know, married his cousin, but. He's, <laughs> Who didn't? Who didn't do that? Who, 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 who didn't want to? Who doesn't who want to marry that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. anyway, we'll be back next time. Uh, in the next few episodes, we're going to do a biography on FDR, and then we're going to start looking at the relationship between the three nations before World War II. I mentioned briefly in an earlier episode about how they both invaded, the UK and the USA invaded yes. Russia to try and crush the Bolshevik Revolution. Yeah. You know, yeah. so that's going to play a role. We'll talk about some of their main economic and uh, ideological differences. And, uh, you know, that's going to get us through the next couple of episodes. So yeah. um, don't forget, go up to iTunes, uh, leave us a review. If we yeah. like it, if it's clever, if it's funny, we will um, read it out on a future episode and send you a, a gift, coffee mug. Yeah. 
Don't forget to go up to Facebook, follow us on Facebook. If you're new to the Ray and Cam experience, the Ray and Cam world of wonders. Welcome we, aboard. We have other podcasts on Julius Caesar, on Alexander the Great. I did one with another guy called David Markham on Napoleon. Ray Which does his awesome, own, Ray does his own thing on World War Two. Yeah, the, for, you know the Napoleon one. I will say, pretty much invented long history podcast series. Uh, yeah. We started that in two thousand and six, I think five six. Wow. Did about sixty episodes, all about sort of an hour, an hour and a half long on Napoleon. Really, you know, was the first, as far as I'm aware, of this kind of format. But anyway, um, if you're looking for something to listen to in between uh, yeah. Cold War episodes, check, check out those or Ray's World War II show, which is massive and popular. That's what she said. Das Vidanya, everyone. Das Vidanya. An iron curtain has descended across the continent. military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere.